Were your grandparents alive during a lot of your life? Some of it, a little bit. Yours. Yeah, actually, two of my grandparents are still alive now. Still Aww. still going great. It's their birthday this week, actually, How at the time sweet. that we're, we're doing birthday. this. Happy birthday. Happy my grandma and grandpa Fister. Aww. But um, I had all four of my grandparents alive well into my 30s, but my dad's two parents have passed away in the last oh. you know several years. Well, I have one living grandparent now. Um, my dad's mom died when, she was, when my dad was um, a child, uh. and then the rest of my grandparents have all died very recently. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Do you have food memories associated with your grandparents? Like sp- a specific thing that stands out? <laughs> I have one food memory. Oh, you do? My, because my dad's mom died, I didn't get anything from that side. You know, a lot of times women, at least in American society, women are the keepers of um, the like hearth. the, uh, oftentimes the domestic yes. world. Yes. And uh, so, especially like in the 40s, 50s, 60s. And so my grandmother, uh, I have one food memory. Um, My mom's mom, I don't think she was, I don't remember her cooking much and I don't know Mm -hmm. that she was really interested in cooking, Mm -hmm. but she had this specialty. It was like Thanksgiving gravy. So as I came of age, there was a time when my grandmother stood behind me in a very anxious way, smoking a cigarette because... (laughs) Back in the day, you could smoke a cigarette you indoors. Smoke, it, smoke inside, no problem. And would say, "This is the critical stage. <laughs> this is the critical stage." When it was time to pour flour in a like ultra traditional right. Thanksgiving gravy, right. it was stressful for me as a teenager. Oh. And that's pretty much it. I hey, that sounds like a perfect family food memory. <laughs> it's actually, kind of, it's very Mad Men. It sounds like yeah. the quintessential family food, like a ho- all the stress of a holiday, yeah. the smoking indoors, all of it, the Thanksgiving gravy. Yeah. Now, now I want it to be Thanksgiving yeah. right now. How about you? With um, your living grandparents. Yes. Oh, well, I, I still get to have food experiences with my living grandparents, Aww, which is amazing. Lovely. I You know, it's funny. I used to stay over a lot at my grandma's house as, as a child, like even for like oh, weeks cool. at a time or days at a time. And one thing, I, there are two things I remember. One is like my grandma would always like make breakfast for me. Like she would always oh, like pour my cereal wonderful. or like, or like if, it, if she would make like like a frozen waffle for me or an English muffin, especially. And oh, she I would like English put muffins. it in the toaster oven. She always had the special toaster oven too. And so this idea, like she would arrange the breakfast. I think my grandma, like me, I, my grandma is like my spirit animal person. Oh, Very controlling though with food. Like <laughs> you, so also your spirit animal correct, person. Correct. <laughs> so like the reason why she put my food out is because she doesn't want me going in her cupboards and getting the food out. Oh, that's cute. It's going to be like, she is doing it. And so I appreciate that kind of, it's a kind of hospitality. I think what you have to do though, is if you're around somebody like that, just advice for the world. I don't know. Yeah. You just have to let those people control it and do it, especially if it's good and you like it. You just let, you just roll with it. You know, I am very recently committed to doing a lot of cooking in my home oh. for my children for this reason. Mm-hmm. I read this study that said that your se- the sense of smell is the most closely tied to memory. Oh, yeah. And so in my mind, I was like, I want my children to grow up with particular smells being associated with good things. Yes. And so I have this, I got this baked oatmeal recipe from Mm -hmm. um, Sally's Baking Addiction. It's really great. And so my son, my oldest son and I have started cooking it every Monday and you can like, it lasts for a week. So it's like a, it's like a oatmeal cobbler. It's delicious. Just keep eating on it. Yeah. And so, but every day I heat it in the oven to like get those good oh, yeah. smell things. Yep. So yeah, I'm a, I'm kind of like a new convert to, <laughs> to that. This is Weird Religion, a podcast for people who know religion is weird, but love it anyway. I'm Brian Doak. I'm a biblical scholar, professor, author, and I'm so hungry right now. And I feel 
lonely when I'm hungry. <laughs> Why? Why do I feel that way? I'm Leah Payne. I'm a historian, author, professor, and all the fun baking and domesticity vibes of early quarantine have pretty much devolved to me eating my preschoolers' fishy crackers at Those night. are good. Those are good. It's sad. Today we're talking about the YouTube channel Grandpa Kitchen. Where a gardening grandpa from India cooks huge dishes for orphaned children. It is literally the sweetest thing you will ever see. And the tastiest. I want Indian food now. Join us. Join us. How did I discover this channel? Ah, okay. And I turned you onto it. Now, this was a recommendation from me. We discovered this, er- I th- I want to say last fall, but it really took off with me and my daughters during the early quarantine oh, vibe really? period. Yes. You, you have been a huge fan of this and you've been telling me about it for a long time. And when it came to be your turn yes. to choose a show, <laughs> you were just like, Grandpa Kitchen, we're Grandpa doing Kitchen. it. Grandpa yeah. Kitchen. It's a little bit of escapism from the world because there's never in the episodes, friends, which you can watch easily by just Googling for it. free you on know. YouTube. Um, and they're all free. They're all on YouTube. Some of the early ones have millions of views. Some of the more recent ones have hundreds of thousands for a reason that we'll describe later. A sad but sweet reason. I think it's it's a show that when you watch it, there is never an issue that explicitly intrudes upon the cooking ever. Oh, yeah. Except for the cooking and just the dish. Okay, so it's a, the, the early episodes, there's a grandpa. And you can, you know, you can look up the show and find his name and so on. Um, but he basically lives in this rural area of South Central India. He used to be a gardener, but for some reason he started like cooking these huge dishes. And it turned into this thing where he would cook these really big meals, like for like 100 or 150 people. And they feed them to orphans in the area. And so the show, the kind of ritual of the show, there's always a ritual, right, that you go through. Like the ritual is they have a little opening sequence with the grandpa. Yeah. And you're like, who is this crazy old guy with his handlebar mustache? Like I in think r- Grandpa Reddy, but they don't really mention it. They don't name. call him he's Grandpa just Reddy. Grandpa. Yeah, he's just yeah. grandpa. Yeah. And he's and he says something like, you know, I'm your grandpa, you're my family, you know, come into my kitchen. I love that. His kitchen is like this outdoor thing. Like they're outdoors. He's cooking on like bricks and like with open everything cooked over open fire. Yeah. And at the end, after they've cooked this stuff, after you watch this mesmerizing process of making this huge portion thing they feed it to like orphan children in his place and they all eat it while they play like the little theme music and it's just like pure goodness someone's doing something good in the world somebody is doing something good you know i i was really okay so i for you new weird weird religion listeners um brian is quite the hospitality cook person and likes a lot of cooking shows i do actually i (laughs) i am newer to like even getting involved in cooking and now you know why because you know about my grandma well Um, (laughs) you got to get the cigarettes going yeah 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 i just need a cigarette um but so i wasn't sure what to expect because you kind of you know you have highbrow tastes and so I was like, is this going to be something where I'm going to feel intimidated <laughs> oh. by the dishes? And like, yeah. I sometimes feel a little distance between myself and some of the cooking shows. Mm-hmm. But what I was really, what the fun that I had was like, he, I, I think he does highbrow, lowbrow stuff. Oh, like yeah. some of it's ultra traditional um, like some of it seems like fancier and then some of it seems like, well, I mean, right. he does like hamburgers. Oh yeah. Yeah. Them, no, that's right. You know? No, it's, it's not all Indian food. I mean, sometimes they just do different things. A lot oh, of it lots is of like, kinds of a lot of it is yeah. like curry and stuff that you would definitely associate traditionally with India. But some of it is just like, it's like French fries. They'll make this huge French fry. Thing There's one where he makes a huge cake 
Um, yes, what kind cake. of cake? Oh, I it's love like the a, cake. It's like a chocolate red cake. velvet yeah, or something, something. Like with sprinkles all yeah. over. Yeah, and I I just really. I, okay, there were two things that stood out to me I want to hear from you. One was the fact that he goes by grandpa, grandpa. and that I'm sure that there's certain things that I'm just not catching culturally, mm-hmm. like what's going on. But I was just so endeared by like grandpa gets kind of used as an office. Like what a wonderful right. like role right. to play in many people's lives. I, I loved that. Oh, totally. Did you I mean, what stood out to you? Like what what do you, what are you your daughter's experience when they watch it? Oh, they love it. They love it. It's Aww. just like watching the other kids eat at the end. And I don't even think my daughters really understand like what like orphans are or the idea of that. Or the younger one probably doesn't. The older one maybe does, but um, I think watching kids eat, there's something just mesmerizing about it. So one thing that I think became a thing in our household about the show is that did you ever notice like when you watch it, whenever they pour an ingredient in, they just like say the thing. Like he'll pour it, he'll pour oil and he'll Milk. Go, oil. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he'll say like and they use like these really simple kind of descriptions. Like whenever they mix something, every time he says mix well, but he says it as one word, like mix well. Uh-huh. So like we say that in our house and all the time, Aww. like mix well. Like I think it's just so it's just so like meditative. Like each thing, like watching them stir things. Like watching someone stir food. There must be some like evolutionary thing about that that is just like it's just mesmerizing. It just is. Do you know what it reminded me of? Um, I have this memory of, do you remember how Sesame Street used to do these things where they'd show you how they make things? Oh, yeah. Like there's a whole thing about making crayons. Oh, yes. And there's one about baking a cake. Uh, and it had this like drum kit going. And you see the cake being made and then you see the the frosting. And that's how it felt watching it. I was just going to watch two episodes just to be like, okay, done. And we're going to talk about this. And then I just got sucked in. You it was wa- like yeah. over an hour you later more than you had to. <laughs> yeah. I think there's something about, um, look, this is something I wanted to actually ask yes. you about. Cause I know that you'll know this term and you'll know something about this. This is our, our scholarly moment. Okay. Yes. We're not, we're just, gu- we go. we're just gushing, we're just gushing over like a meditative Indian cooking show here with no connection to our specialties. Okay. But this is the value added people. I want to talk about a book that I own and mm-hmm. I haven't read in full. That book is called Orientalism. Oh, I was going to, I wanted to bring that up too. By Edward Said. Oh, you yes. did? Yes. Okay, well, I, there was a sort of like a, I don't want to call it disturbing because I don't think it's negative necessarily, although I wonder, I, I'll, okay, I'll just call it. I'll say there's a disturbing kind of lining or edge to all this for me, for me, as I watch and enjoy the show, which is this fact. I sometimes watch the show and I've watched many many of the episodes and some of them more than once um and i think sometimes i watch it and i see him out there and they're wearing like this traditional garb Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um and they're out in this area sometimes the camera angles will flash up to these palm trees and they're clearly in a very rural area like not a wealthy developed area and he's cooking on open fire with these like old like the pans and Mm -hmm. the dishes he uses they're not like shiny new things from William Sonoma. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like these battered old things. And then like feeding the kids. And sometimes I think to myself, I'm like, I, I sort of, I, I can, I can do this thing where I, my mind drifts into this area where I'm like, that's the life, you know, like, I love that. Like, they're probably oh, just, they're really happy yeah, there. Okay. Like, and you know, and yeah, there's, there are orphans in the world, but like there are people like that taken care of. And, and in India, there's a family structure there and they respect their elders and, and all that stuff. But then I think to myself, and this is where the Orientalism theme comes in, because what is, I mean, okay, let me pause here and just for this comment to make sense. Do you think 
could you describe what is what, what's kind of like the basic thesis of Orientalism? Like, what's what's the big idea behind Edward Said's? Yeah, well, it's funny. Um, I I was thinking about Orientalism, the book, um, and the phenomena or the idea. Right. Um, which actually, is t- which is tied to the book, but not totally synonymous with it. Yeah. When we were driving, uh, when I was driving here, um, to talk with you today, and it's basically the the. It's written by the scholar um, Saeed, who um, has this big sweeping argument and parenthetical statement. I really enjoy reading a big sweeping theoretical argument. Oh, a lot of times people yes. are a little nervous about doing that. But I this is this is one it. of the I would say this is a seminal text in religious studies mm-hmm. and in many other kind of like cultural studies fields. Mm-hmm. Um, but the concept behind Orientalism is the idea of the Orient, like this idea of like a mystic East mm-hmm. is a construction, something that ha- was built by Western minds and Western observers. Mm-hmm. So the reason why we think about like someone like, I mean, terms that would get associated with Orientalism might be like exotic. Mm-hmm. So like the reason why we think about somebody like grandpa kitchen as being like very different than us mm-hmm. or being in some ways like having a, reason why we might have an inaccurate and idealized portrait Mm -hmm. of him and his world is because we've been trained to think like that as Western people, that there's this mystical other Mm -hmm. in the East, um, the far East that is. um, So Saeed's work, he basically argues that there's this false construction of the East made by the West. Now other people have, have you know scholars just go back and forth um, about these ideas so then other people have said well he all he also in doing in creating the orient he created the occident so like maybe mm-hmm. like a false view of the west but to me saeed's work really still stands like he does meticulous analysis of how westerners right. view right. the east and so i'm i'm glad that we both thought of that because i had that feeling too when i so th- Grandpa Kitchen has like a gazillion, approximately a gazillion subscribers, right? right? It's it's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a big channel. 8.29 million yep. people. And I was thinking like how many of those, like I assume it's international mm-hmm. um, since you found out about it. Yeah. So what is the, the experience of watching this if you live in Grandpa Kitchen's hometown? Mm-hmm. Um, because one thing is like the, the filming and the footage is great. So there it's not like there's no technology where they are, right. even though it's a rural place. But what's the experience? Like, how do you interpret all of these moves yeah. when you're of the same culture versus like the West? Right. What about you? What well, you no, it's the, it's the very idea. And this is where I, I started to like this sort of lurking Orientalist theme was in my heart because I was like, Am I like romanticizing that world in ways that show that I don't understand anything about the politics and the economics? But then it's like, okay, I guess my my kickback against myself there would be, why can't I just like enjoy a sweet show where people are cooking, which is a human universal cooking. That is something the Occident and the Orient and everyone who's ever lived and the young and the old. I mean, there's so few things that we can say we truly share. We do all have to eat though. Yes. And so there is something there that's like, universal and so like by participating in that i think where it could get weird you know for a person like the orleans orientalism theme you can see it everywhere like in movies oh yes like, like there's like a music cue that will come right. up like you're supposed to think of this place as different. right it's exotic it's yeah. weird and by by exoticizing and weirding it out you are then allowed to treat it in particular ways mm-hmm. or to think of p- 
people in particular ways. Okay, here's an odd moment. We, yes. were, my wife and I, were watching. We we let our daughters finally start to get into like more PG kind of PG thirteen kind of movies. I can't wait for that because I'm and stuck in. They're really into know, like fantasy and sci-fi and stuff, oh, yeah. and so Star Wars. But we let them watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy with us. Fascinating. There's a moment in the final Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, where like Aragorn, the king there, Viggo Mortensen. Yes, yes. He comes and I. Th- I was actually surprised it made it into the movie. It must be part of the books, but I thought I, I was just kind of, I guess my sort of PC self, I was shocked that this happened when the King is going to lead them into the final battle against the troops of Mordor. Yes. By the way, the, um, the troops of Mordor are in the East uh, and the other people are like yeah. these warriors. They're all white. They're coming from the West. And he's right. like, let's fight. Da, da, da. He has a speech. And he's like, let's do this. Men of the West. He wow. calls them, and they're going and fighting this horde. Who it's? I think it's worth saying that they are literally monsters. They are literally so been faceless monsters. Faceless monsters. Their skin is darker rather than lighter. Yeah. Uh, in the in the movie, right? And it's like, so it's like, like, yeah. I think there's probably I don't know maybe somebody listening is like, oh geez, oh geez, here we go. Like you know, everything has to be a symbol for like racism and da da da. But it's like I think that's pretty explicit. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's not even a symbol like it's it's just outright and so this idea you could even see an idea like that there sometimes orientalism though doesn't have to be per- portraying the other in a way that seems overtly negative just that it's odd that it's mystical that it's strange you know, that it's, you know and i've heard i've heard so i'm uh, i wish we had more time to talk about that in tolkien but yeah. i think that's the value of these these sweeping theoretical arguments is it gives you a really interesting like lens to interpret lots of different things. Mm-hmm. So I sort of wonder, could we even do, could, could Lord of the Rings be made like in that way today? I'm, I'm kind of curious or like yeah. as a culture, are we having this conversation in a different way? I think people are now, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just like stuck in the ivory tower. Um, but <laughs> we're definitely stuck in the ivory tower. Let's <laughs> be, let's be totally like clear about that. Stuck in the ivory tower. <laughs> I mean, it's not a tower. It's not ivory, but we're yeah, stuck. We're stuck there. Um, but w- yeah, I mean, when I was watching that, okay, I've heard somebody talk about, um, Orientalism and I think you were kind of hinting around at this, um, as a way of Westerners to turn people into things mm, like to mm-hmm. be acquired yes, right. and to be, um, displayed like, a, a, like right. a cabinet of curios. Right. And so I think that, I don't know. Maybe I'm misinterpreting your, I, I was having that feeling when I was watching, you know, because we're, <laughs> when you end up in the Academy, you just get haunted by these really valuable ideas that are kind of like spinning around in your mind. <laughs> that you was know? the music of the haunting. The, the music of the haunting where it's like how much of me, ha- you know, enjoying this is like an ob- objectification. Yes. No, exactly. That's what I meant. Yeah. Or even think yeah. about, I mean, so my family, one of the food types we enjoy most is Indian food. There's a mm-hmm. place called Swagat in Beaverton. If you're ever out here, I would yes. go there. It's really good. Mm-hmm. But I do, you know, thinking about that, it's like, think about the way even that an Indian restaurant looks. Or like the way that it is. Like it's it's trying to create some kind of like every restaurant will do this. Like an Italian restaurant. Like, sure, right? like sure. They'll have some like accordion. little accordion, little accordion yeah, music yeah. going in the background. It's like. There's like shorthand that are supposed right. to communicate to Americans. Right. And so there's a kind of like consumer value. You need a cue. You need like a brand cue. Mm-hmm. And the brand cues in like an Indian restaurant might be, you know, certain like images of like Hindu gods and goddesses and a certain kind of carving or symbolism or ornateness and so on. And. Uh, I guess, yeah, and it's like, am I, you know, you want to have the feeling like you're going into some place that's kind of different, you know, and I don't perceive that like as a restaurant goer, as a pernicious process, but the idea that I'm like looking at people living in a less developed place, 
who have very little food probably in some cases. Although grandpa kitchen, he grandpa's he got lots of it. food. He has huge food. But like thinking like, oh, that's such a wonderful life, you know, da da da. But like that was where I kind of wondered if I'd crossed a line in my mind to like almost like romanticizing that sort of thing where it's like, oh, um, maybe the reality of what's going on there is different from what I'm experiencing well, watching it. I have a really personal question for you. Oh. And I, I, you know, you tell me if this is too personal. <laughs> now everybody's like, everybody who tuned out is like listening. <laughs> Your household, I, I mean, I think you would classify as a multicultural household. Like you cook, yeah. you know, um, foods from the from two different cultures in your home. Do you experience that, you know, either like if you're, you know, uh, from the outside or from the inside? Like how how would you, if you know, how do you negotiate that with your daughters, with your family? Right. right. I don't know. I was like, well, you might have kind of like a, well, a home laboratory well, to even yeah. think through well, all I think, of this well, stuff. Well, so, so once, so yeah. So the backstory on that is that my, my wife's dad immigrated from Puerto Rico when he was, I think five years old or seven years old. And his mom, speaking of a grandma yes. and a food culture, she was like the one who like was like very serious about the Puerto Rican cooking, the rice mm, and beans, the, you know, the pasteles, the various things. And so she's the one who showed my wife's mom, who is not Puerto Rican, oh, how to cook yeah. that way. But 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 grandma, grandma Pilar was very, very, very strict Love it. about the cooking and other things. She did not smoke cigarettes, though. Oh, sad. But <laughs> she might as well have. Like, sad, it was, but healthier. She was a she was a fun. She I, I actually and she passed away in, I think, 2011. And so. Um, I think my oldest daughter actually got to meet her, but doesn't remember she was a baby. But I got to meet her several times, like over Christmases. They would Aww. bring her over to the house and like, yeah. she would like just, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think at times we haven't, we've made the Puerto Rican food, like definitely a, a very explicit part of our like food f family identity. Mm -hmm. And we make those kinds of things and we share those kinds of things, certainly with my wife's family. Both of my daughters are, I think in some ways we've tried as a family to reclaim elements of that puerto rican and spanish-speaking identity that were lost on my wife even though she's puerto rican mm. or half puerto rican because precisely it was her dad who was puerto rican and not her mom and i think just sociologically it's often the case that the women are the the yeah, bearers women are the that. bearers of the, of the language issue and, and so on and so the fact that like when we had a chance through a lottery system i guess that we got into to send our daughters to a spanish immersion type education like we did kindergarten through you know now yeah. sixth grade for the oldest one but it was precisely because it was like, oh, this was an identity that we have that, you know, that we feared just that would go into oblivion potentially. Wow. Right. Because like we don't live in, you know, like my wife's dad grew up in Spanish Harlem mm -hmm. in New York City. And it's mm -hmm. like we don't live. Does there. that even exist anymore? Does that like, even exist? You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? Like, does that even exist anymore? Yeah. And so and this idea of like, oh, you know, Grandma Pilar, she passes away and, you know, Susan's parents will pass away and they're getting older. And it's like, who will make the rice and beans? Like who will actually do, you know, what Grandma Pilar did? And if and there I am doing it like I'm not a likely candidate to be sitting here like making this stuff because like I'm, you know, but there I am, you know, taking part in this, too. And so. You know, it is kind of a mixed up world of food, yeah. Well, speaking of, you made sure to to have me watch a very particular episode oh, of Grandpa Kitchen. Oh, this is so and this is too much. It is. I mean, I I feel like, you know, if you look on the channel, it's it will be obvious to you, but It's one of the most popular episodes. Grandpa Kitchen um dies. He dies. Yeah. He died like last October. And oh my goodness. Obviously, oh. I mean, you know, he has this worldwide audience, but he also has 
he's clearly a commu- uh, an icon in his community. Yes. And so, oh my goodness. What did you, how did you feel watching that episode? Like <sighs> they narrate and show his entire, like a fu- his funeral. funeral with his body and everything. I thought that was, it was so shocking. Like to see like a funeral in his body. Like what mm-hmm. did, I, I don't know. How did you feel watching that? Well, I have, I have a, an interest in like life and death rituals myself, just mm-hmm. like as a religion scholar and yeah. just as a human being. Right. Like I think that, so I'm, for our listeners, I'm married to um, a hospital chaplain and he's with people as they're finding out that they're dying, mm-hmm. as they're going through like the death process. Mm-hmm. And so we have a lot of conversations about how Americans in particular, um, but many, many people in different cultures are just like allergic to death. They don't want to talk about it. They uh, don't want to think about it. Right. And how important it is for people just as human beings to be able to accept and, and process death right. in order for you to live a full life. Right. And so when I was watching like these people grieve the man that they love, and what they show his his body, yeah, which um, everything, yeah. I I just was um, I don't know. I mean, I just was struck by the beauty and the pain of life. <laughs> I don't know. That's it, like ultra philosophical. No, it guess, was. But. It was. It's, it's literally that moving. Like this 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 kind of lighthearted cooking channel got that moving with this funeral episode. Do you want to know something crazy too? I, despite the fact that I watched all this with my daughters, and I want like you to like have like you're saying like that kind of in touch that being in touch like with mm-hmm. death, like I censored it for my daughters and I haven't watched it with them yet. And I'm wondering whether to watch it with them. Wow. Do you think they could handle it? Okay. It's, we're going really deep here, but I remember when my step grandmother died, I was 17 when she died and I didn't, I wasn't that close to her, but I went to her funeral. It was just at a funeral home in my, my hometown. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I'd ever seen a dead body yeah. um, before. And I was, pretty old Mm -hmm. and i mean you know in the grand scheme of life like in human history people were just like dealing with dead bodies all the time no i had a similar situation i did not see a dead body until i was very old relatively speaking i remember thinking how strange it was because it is it's like the person does not look like the person right Mm -hmm. and but there was a woman who was my dad's stepsister basically um and she went and touched her mom's corpse like with her hand and then kissed her forehead and that moment is like very like I think about that sometimes like what it is to love someone and how to mourn them so I don't know when the right time is to show that to your daughters I mean you know it's like when when is it appropriate for them to know the hardness of life what are you gonna do I know I think I think we're gonna have to wait for another time to resolve that one because I'm just not sure but I I kind of in part though I will say I do want to show them that episode I think you should yeah Hey, thanks for listening, weirdos. Why did you say it so derisively? Ah, it's a compliment. (laughs) It is. For extras on subjects covered in this episode and other related jokes and miscellany, do not forget to follow us on the socials and visit our website, weirdreligion.com. This episode was produced by Leanne Drain and Ryan Smoke at our new studio space, The Bunker. Our theme music is by Cassie Blum and our artwork is by John Williams. A special shout out to the Wabash Center for Teaching and Learning in Theology and Religion for their support for these new episodes. Remember when you podcast, podcast with us.